You're listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and hot takes about all 12 NPB teams. Hosted by Jim Allen and John E. Gibson. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of July 24th. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a Saturday night is my buddy Jim Allen. What's happening, man? We had a, a week with, I don't know, kind of minimal baseball this week. It was weird. I, I almost felt that way, except I was still busy for some reason. So, <laughs> and I watched I watched a lot of Major League Baseball. But yeah, yeah it was kind of quiet. It, it was kind of quiet. Yeah, it was. Well, we had two uh, two weeknights, uh, Tuesday and Friday nights without baseball, which is pretty much non-existent. So, and then we had two All-Star games, which are kind of, you know, what they are. Well, yeah, and they turned out to be kind of snoozy, but uh, oh well. <laughs> oh well, indeed. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had fun, and it was good to rest, and I'm ready for the second half, and it seems like a few of the other teams are, and some of them aren't. But anyway, <laughs> on yeah. this week's show, we've got Carter Stewart Jr. of SoftBank. We're going to look back at the All-Star Series. We're going to look at the top MVP and some of the award candidates and handle some high heat. So let's start swinging. Clearing the bases! Uh, before we get started, I wanted to say thanks so much to Claudio Rodriguez, Jason Coskry, and Michael Westbay for helping us with the, uh, I don't know, we need a name for that thing, with the Midway Special. Does that sound good? The, the Midway Round the Battle of Midway. <laughs> battle of the Midway. There wasn't too much battling going on there. We were all in agreement about the bad teams and the agreement about the good teams and yeah, an agreement about like, the surprise teams. <laughs> yeah, it was it seemed like let's dump on three managers. <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple of them really deserve it, and one of them is still kind of lost out there. But anyway. Well, yeah, it was it was great. So uh, this week, uh, this well, actually, it was a few weeks ago. I was quite surprised to see Carter Stewart Jr. at uh, up where the Cebu Lions play at the Dome Stadium, formerly known as Prince. Uh, he was working out between starts, and he was at. He told me he was asked, "Which stadium do you want? Where do you want to start your next game?" and he told me, but I'm not going to say because he said, don't say it. Hey. There's one stadium he doesn't like, apparently. Okay. So anyway, uh, it was, a you know, I, I saw this guy out going into the bullpen. I go, geez, that's a big guy. <laughs> Six five, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thought I looked over, I saw, I, I went from the camera seats, uh, the camera, the camera, the photographer's seats, to the bullpen, which is no easy task, even though it's like <laughs> it's like 20 yards away. <laughs> it's 20 yards away in dog yards and <laughs> as the crow flies, but in reporters uh, distance, it's about uh, about 500. <laughs> so to go back and through the narrow winding maze of off at Warren under Cebu, whatever it is called now. And then into the stadium, up the up the stairs, into the stadium, down the stairs, around, and look and look in the bullpen, and he's not here. No. Okay, give up. Go back. Do go in reverse. Go back to the camera seats, and here he comes. So we had a chat first time we've met, 
and in person yes yes so it was it was quite a thrill we we were we were kind of excited but like little puppies well i'm like a 63 year old puppy but you know how you get the idea no i don't i don't know any 63 year old puppies but go ahead <laughs> in human years in human years guy human even years. in human years i don't get the puppy part but i'm uh, <laughs> i sort of follow you but yeah okay <laughs> So anyway, we had a chat and uh, have a listen and let's go. Well, our guest this week on the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast again, for about the fourth time maybe, yeah, right. is Carter Stewart Jr. of the SoftBank Hawks. Uh, very nice to meet you in person. Yeah, nice to meet you in person. You know, glad to finally, you know, get to actually talk in person. I know, because you've been a, a huge topic of conversation ever since uh, we ta I talked with uh, the, the scout. And I'm now, because I'm old, I can't remember. Well, what's his name? He lives in the Space Coast. Oh, uh, Matt Scrimetto. Okay, Matt. Yeah. So Matt told me about the told me the whole story, and a lot of people told me the story. And yeah. then I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to throw any uh, any pejoratives around. So I'll skip the stuff I heard. But uh, anyway, uh, it was it was such an exciting thing to have you come to Japan mm -hmm. as an amateur. And hopefully it open new doors, but it's it's been a, a much bigger, harder struggle, I think, than a lot of us thought. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of steps in the process, right? You know, we're coming over here. There's there's a lot of expectation. I think right. that let that weigh on me a little bit. Um, just the entire, you know, adjusting to the culture, you know, learning the language, you know, learning minor league baseball over here. There's a lot of steps that you know I tried to skip, and you can't you can't do that. You know, you come over here, you know, maybe as an older guy, you've already learned a lot of that stuff. Um, and as someone who's young, uh, you know, I didn't know how to handle the mental side of the game. I didn't, you know, I was learning the physical side of the game, but that, that's not the only thing to it. And, um, you know, I tried to be too good too quick, and I think that that set me back a little bit. But I think now that I finally understand the process and understand the work that I need to put in, you know, I'm a lot more set path. Okay. Well, you sound like me when I was 22, and I, and I had it all figured out. So yeah. I'm sure next year you'll go, oh, how come I didn't know that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, every year you learn something new, right? You know, every, every year, last year, the year before, you know, there's been struggles, and those have helped me get better, and I think that's the most important thing. Okay. Well, tell, now I heard good things about you pitching in Puerto Rico over the winter, and uh, tell me about that experience. Oh, it was great. You know, uh, just a different style of baseball, a little bit more relaxed, not, uh, you know, not so focused on the training, more focused on the actual baseball, baseball side of it. Right. Uh, but it just kind of helped me relax and learn to just like take a step back, look at it that, you know, just over here isn't the only, you know, this isn't the only place that they play baseball, right? Right. Because all over the world, there's different styles of baseball, not just one way works for, for one person. Okay. So, you know, took some aspects away from that and kind of added them in. You know, all the other guys, you know, Richard and, and Sotha and, and those guys who came over with, you know, they took some aspects from it and put it into their own game. And I feel like I did a little bit the same. Okay. Then now you had an injury and that obviously kept you out of the out of the off the first team for a couple of months yeah oh, tell us about what happened yeah no i just uh, i dealt with a core issue for basically the last two years you know it, it plagued me a lot of last year um just kind of i tore it early in spring training last year and just something that it's not really possible to like technically recover you just kind of have to manage it the best that's possible uh just be, you know you use your core for everyday life sitting up out of bed you know to going walking down the street it's a weird kind of feeling um so learning to manage that was was the hardest part okay uh you know once you do it you just have to learn to kind of live with it you have to do a lot of extra stuff you know you have to learn to you know kind of keep your your core disengaged and engaged at certain times it's just a it's a long process that i had to learn um, and so that was also another kind of setback on top of uh, on top of everything that 
you know, there was, there was a lot of different things I had to do. I had to kind of learn how to train differently. I had to learn how to breathe differently. And that was, uh, you know, it definitely helped me now in the long run. But back then I was kind of like, man, this, this really stinks. I really wish I just want to be healthy. I, I can understand that part. The, um, well, tell me now about this year because uh, that you had to go through that, but then you got two starts and they were they were pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, your command was obviously not where you wanted it. Yeah. But the pitches, the yeah. quality of the pitches was really good. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, right now I feel like this year my command has improved significantly. Uh, last two starts, you know, I definitely was kind of here and there. I uh, wasn't perfect and, you know, kind of working at it on that. But, um, you know, quality of pitches-wise, you know, that's just from developing over, you know, the four or five years that I've been here. Finally kind of getting comfortable off the mound, um, you know, with everything, throwing everything to every hitter mm-hmm. instead of being focused, you know, if it's a righty only throwing curveball or lefty only throwing changeup, you know, I mean, that kind of, I kind of took that out of my head and learned to throw everything to everybody. Okay. Um, and that kind of helps me just like, I, you know, I don't have to focus on, if I'm going to a righty, I can't just go slider the way, right? Right. I can go, you know, fastball down the middle, splitter down, or fastball, you know, curveball away, or you're to a lefty fastball, curveball, slider in, and that's like a different kind of feeling because I don't feel like I have to like pitch one way. I have this whole more broad idea of pitching. You sound older. I'm trying to. I mean, (laughs) you know, speaking to a lot of these guys, a lot of these coaches, you know, they're much more old school when it comes to baseball, and you learn how to like grow up I feel like from, t- from talking to them uh, any of the Japanese uh, players really help help you in the process because I know there's some really some guys who know everything about pitching here yeah no there's definitely <laughs> um, not necessarily one guy specifically but everyone kind of talks to everybody okay everyone wants to learn something new from everybody sure. you know since I've been here with a big league team uh, I have enjoyed talking to some of the guys that you know I've seen for last year um, and just learning different things. You know, talking to someone like Ozeki, who has a very different philosophy of pitching than you know, right. a lot of guys. Uh, he's very, very intelligent um, mm. when it comes to um, comes to pitching and, and comes to his the way his body moves. Right. So he's a great guy to talk to. You know, Higashiyama, Ishikawa, all these different guys have their own different philosophies. Sure. Uh, and they all are very unique and, and are very good pitchers. So it's good to learn from everyone. Yeah, just stop learning your command from Ishikawa and you'll be okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't tell him I said that. Yeah, don't worry, I <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, what was the what was maybe the the biggest? Uh, well, I guess when I watched you pitch, I went, "Wow, that's that curveball that everybody was talking mm-hmm. about in the states eight years ago." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's even it's better and better yeah. and better. Okay. So that's really sharp, mm-hmm. and you got a splitter now. Yeah, that, I'm working on it. Um, I was doing it well in the minor leagues. Here, it's been a little different. You know, just kind of like trying to be a little too perfect with it now. Okay. Um, it's not necessarily shying away from hitters. It's just like, you know, the next level hitters, like I haven't thrown it at this level yet. Okay. You know, in the past, I have thrown curveballs, fastballs, sliders at this level. You know, I have to learn to command that pitch. Even I, I should, you know, it's the same philosophy when I'm in the minor leagues, big leagues, right? Um, but it's harder to, to put it into practice on the mound, of course. Um, Especially when there's 40,000 people Yeah, in exactly. You want to be perfect, right, every single time. And it just doesn't come to that. You know, I just need to be aggressive with it. And, you know, if they get a hit on it, they get a hit on it. Right. You know, throw it again, throw it again until, you know, I feel comfortable. And I think that's just my idea. I have to ask, did you ever run into the philosophy? There's, there is a bit of an old school philosophy in Japan that was uh, if you give up a hit, then you made a mistake somewhere down the yeah. line. 
I've heard that before, but I think that's kind of gone away. It's, it is going, it is they fading out. I hear that a little bit every once in a while. If you have a hit from two strikes, I feel like. If you get a guy 0-2-1-2 and you give him a hit, it's like, oh, you messed up. It's like, well, you know, maybe I made a good pitch and he made a good swing. You know, yeah. that happens. I, you see guys all the time. Well, that never happens in Japan. Mm. Right? Every 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 hit, every pitch is fat. Every pitch they say is fat. And every, every, every out is a good pitch. Yeah, really. No. <laughs> Uh, I wish that were true. I, but I, I learned that from watching TV. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, we wish that was true, but, you know, yeah. balls get hard all the time off me. And I'm like, man, how did that not go for a hit? Happens. You know, balls that hit 25 feet that go for a hit, they're just like, well, what are you going to do? You if that it. were true, you knock each hit never have a home run. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, just uh, continue, like, it doesn't matter if it's 0-2, 0-0, Like, I feel like I kind of have the same philosophy right now, just attack those strikes good I'm glad to hear that so I'm glad it was finally great to meet you yeah it was great to meet you and uh, good luck and best of health thank you I appreciate it I'll see you around hopefully okay thank you again Carter it was brilliant I was so excited and I I wish I had prepared more for you I didn't expect to see you all that much but you uh, you answered the questions great and I was really uh, excited to hear what you had to say yeah great to hear you and I, I mean let me just say at the beginning of the interview, you can you can actually hear in his voice how genuinely thrilled he is to actually meet you in person. Like like you're both I mean, he's a star, you're a star, and you guys are getting your stars crossed together <laughs> finally. And it, it is July, so you've got the Tanabata situation going on. So it was it was it was really neat. It was really neat. It was it's a it good was moment. Fun. I can't I can't wait to meet him as well. It, it, yeah, it, it was yeah, fun because I've been Aching to since uh, he arrived, I think it was in June 2019. Yeah, that he arrived uh, in Japan, and 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 we had this whole thing going on with, you know, if follow go to my blog if you look up Carter Stewart Jr. and get the whole the whole backstory on how he got here and what what was up and all this all the double talk we got from Agent Scott Boris, which is you know Scott Boris's thing, but. This was poignantly, pointedly so. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, what, what anything stood out other than the exuberance? You know, I have to be honest. The interview was great. CSJ has great things to say, uh, but I'm hearing I want it that way, <laughs> and it just it's it's just bigger than all of us, right? The the song is just bigger than all of us, and oh, you're making a face. You don't know. That's the song that was in the the organ was playing in the song I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys in the background. And ah. it's a, it was a huge hit, like huge. I can't name a Backstreet I wasn't, Boy. I wasn't uh, I was in Japan when the Backdoor Boys were popular. Whoa. <laughs> well, <laughs> wherever door they're coming through or popping out, uh, so was I. But still, it was a huge, huge hit. And so I'm, really? just he I'm hearing the song in the background and it's 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 distracting because, you know, I'm like, I'm starting to listen to, yes, CSJ is talking. And I'm like, you know, singing and so singing the song in the background as I'm going on the train. So it was it was pretty crazy. But it was I mean, I think CSJ was a toddler when that song came out. So. <laughs> I take that back. I did hear them once. I, I watched the Simpsons episode, which they were on. Yep. Yep. So, but yeah, I, yeah, I think I joked. I think he, you know, he was talking like an old guy because we are the ones who get these injuries that we have to manage all the time. Mm. And to hear him talking about how, I mean, I can't even imagine with a core 
injury or a torn what, what was the muscle that was torn it, well it's his ab is, that, well so, it's they're called abs but it's actually one muscle okay well the one in there that you know the abdominal muscle in there that was torn right. and when he's talking about engage and re-engage and disengage and no engage and and i'm like somebody get married here because <laughs> all these engagements and disengagement i mean the notion of having to to learn how to do things that are not that we do unconsciously right we're, mm -hmm. we're not aware of doing it so now you have to become aware of it because it hurts to do it and remember not to do it or to move in a different way so mm -hmm. that you don't engage that muscle when you never think about that whole process, that motion process. And I never studied kinesiology. I, I don't know. I, I just I just understand movement because I was an athlete and I I played stuff and I can see when guys are are doing things that don't seem right or seem ain't effortless or don't seem so effortless. Mm -hmm. But to learn all those things, I mean, that is that, that that's a that's another learning step and another mental part of the game or part of i guess training or life or you know baseball life that you have to get used to and just to, i mean it must have been a long road i mean he didn't say exactly how long he must still be not symptoms but managing it having to manage the injury well i i don't know but he you know again now this did not get recorded because i i asked in detail afterwards and he said the reason he did it, he was he had this really good 2021 season on the farm. And he was six and one with an ERA of one point something or other. And not really striking a lot of people out, but doing well. And it's like 2022, he came out and he said he just wanted to blow into the first team like nobody's business. And he overdid it in spring training. Mm. And that was that. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 is really tough, and and for a young guy, like I said, that's old guy talk to have to discuss managing your movements and your your workouts and all these other things. That's what the Correct. over thirty gang is 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 into. You know, let's let's work smarter, not harder, and uh, all these catchphrases that we use just to say, well, we can't do it the way we used to do it, so we got to find a different way to do something <laughs> and get into shape. So yeah, I, I like that. And then to hear him, it just sounds like uh, obviously we both talked to him the first time we did an interview with him. We did a Mm -hmm. a uh a, a double team on him and <laughs> trapped him in a corner but uh I, I love what he said the notion about skipping steps mm. and not doing that and and just to hear him discuss the mental part and the mental aspects of the game and that whole maturation process that he has gone through really comes out in the way he speaks so i i was glad to hear that and the baseball stuff is is what it is you know you talk about the pitches and you know, it's always going to develop and change and all those things. But so I, I think, you know, when we talk about his stuff and we, we, you know, I was watching him pitch the other day and it seemed like uh, when he's throwing off speed pitches, his his motion is a little bit slower and then you might be able to detect that. But I think he's just more worried about the outcome of the pitch, not so much whether he's tipping it a little bit or whether people might know what's coming, just execute the pitch. And if you throw good pitches, you're going to get you're going to get a better result most of the time. Just like he said, you know, he gave up that, uh, I guess it was a home run or he gave up a hit, but he said, you know, those things are going to happen, especially mm -hmm. when you're throwing the ball over the plate. 
that's going to happen. These guys are good. Uh, but what you want to do is be able to repeat your motion and then get your pitches where you want them to go. And after that, you know, you got to live with the results. And I totally understand that. So I, I, you know, again, I can't wait to meet him in person as well, hoping I get a chance. And it, it was just fun to hear him and listen to and just talk to him and and understand how much he has matured through this time in mm. Japan. Yeah. What about you? Well, he's bigger too. I mean, of course, you see it on TV, but he. Well, is... yeah, we I never met. I've never met him, so I wouldn't know how much bigger well, he you, was I when mean, he was a if little you kid. Saw the the photos of him when he first came. He he was big, but he wasn't as he wasn't as uh, as muscular. Right, he's added so as he's he is got now. His man body, yeah, he, he is. And uh, as as far as the pitches go. Uh, we can no longer say he hasn't thrown the splitter in the Pacific League because he threw one on Monday. Mm-hmm. So in that game against Oryx. And yeah, it, the whole thing that we talked about was, you know, about the process of, you know, going from amateur ball to to professional uh, elite level professional baseball. And this was a topic that was uh, very key to his coming to Japan. You know, the question is, can Japanese teams develop these guys? And I I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, but the SoftBank Hawks, of course, had a reputation for talent development. They'd taken all these, you know, a third of the guys on their first team roster are non-roster developmental guys that 11 other teams, that all 12, none of the 12 teams spent a draft pick on Mm -hmm. in the regular draft. Right. They were all afterthoughts uh, for the rest of NPB. Okay, so there's that. Um, And they've also developed all these Cuban guys. But the Cuban guys have all played, even the 16-year-olds coming over have played in the Cuban League. They played at the professional level. Even So even if they're 16 or something, they've still played professional baseball. Sure. So Levon Moinello was a professional baseball player in Cuba. Oscar Oscar Colas was a professional baseball cu- player in Cuba. So that's where they've they've worked, and that's where they've done it. But this was an experiment because uh, Carter Stewart Jr. was coming out of a different baseball context with different ec- personal expectations uh, and different expectations from the players that they had been training. And so the idea of skipping steps was, you know, was kind of an interest, interesting, uh, especially since when he signed, Matt Skermetta, who signed him, said, you know, it's going to be so much better for him. He's going to miss all the nonsense in minor league baseball. And I, in, that would be true if the Hawks were ready for him. And I'm guessing that the Hawks really weren't ready for him. So it was it was a double it was a double whammy of the Hawks weren't ready for him. He wasn't ready for uh, a different, envi- you know, an environment where he had to write all his own rules. And then he wasn't ready for the coronavirus. So put him in the category with the rest another of the world. 3.5 billion people. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, stick it out, you know, be go sit with those other those other morons. <laughs> The rest of us. Okay, so there was that. And the talking about the competition was great and the talking. But I've been so impressed with his pitches this year that uh, I had little 
you know, all I could say was I'm really, you know, express that opinion and find out how he got where he is. And he said it's been a long battle and his command, uh, which he said has gotten better and better. It's gotten better since his first game this year. So I've I've been watching that. And did you see his game on Monday? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, one one pitch and, and people like to. I love when people say he made one mistake because that's the one pitch that was in the zone that got hit and i don't even think that was a i a was not a miss yeah. you know it, yeah. it could have okay it could have been a better fastball but it was it was okay yeah it was not i mean there was a home run today i think yuto akihiro hit a home run for the giants tonight on a pitch that should not have been hit for a home run but it, it was sure. it just it just happens sometimes and some guys get the bat on sure. so leandro so then you got a ball. You got he got hit it with the right spin and hit it in the lagoon. Yeah, he put a good swing Kukoka on it, and, and he had he'd overpowered him with the fastball before that. There was like it was uh, he a high fastball probably another high fastball probably would have been better than that low one. But oh well, sure. what the heck? It was right down the middle, and he put a good swing on it. It, it had some it had some life on it too. That was not an easy pitch to hit. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was down the middle. I thought it was on the outside uh, outer half of the plate, and you know, just just happened to come with a couple guys on base. But I, I thought he pitched well. I thought he was, you know, he was really excited. Uh, they had mm. he had a couple of plays oh, yeah. made behind him too. Uh, so. Right and trouble too, because this is the thing. The issues, some of the issues he's had before were like were a when runners were on base, mm-hmm. and weird stuff happened. You know, like the the throwing error he made in the game before that, or or this, or or that. This time, one of the things that happened was a, a delay because of a a, a replay request, mm-hmm. and then he walked the next guy. And he gave up, he really, I think he gave up four hits in that game, or he might have been five, but two of them were basically uh, minimal contact, little slow rollers. Mm -hmm. And really two, uh, three well-hit balls, one of which was caught, which saved him a couple of runs. Right. And uh, then... The two that the two that cost him the 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 leadoff double and the home run to Cedeno, but again a good performance overall, and I think he he went seven innings. Seven innings, he gave up five hits and walked two. And okay, yeah, so really really good performance. I thought he stayed on the on the plan when he was when guys were on base. I'm very excited uh, to see what uh, he's got for the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm hoping that he gets that first win. I mean, he, he you know, it's a quality start. Uh, oh yeah. It was, it well, was, the sixth inning was the was the home run, and so it was scoreless up until that point. And you can't win when your team doesn't score any runs for you, and they they got shut out that day. They ended yeah. up with four hits. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And Shumpiti uh, Omashta. I mean, it's not like they need one of the better pitchers in the league to to not score runs. The Hawks these days. <laughs> Chumpeta, yes, yeah, um, yeah, but I, I think longtime listeners might recall that probably when I, you know, I lived in Nagoya and I talked to a Dragons guy a long time ago, and I said, why don't MPB teams grab a young player who's on his way up? And this is back in the, I guess, mid '90s, and grab a young player who's on his way up, uh, develop him, just put him in the farm for a year, and then get him onto the top team if he really has top team talent. And then take advantage of that for a couple, three years and then let him go to the major leagues and use this this Japan farm system. And then the 
the top teams as a, as as his development ground. And this, it was a I wouldn't say a front office exec, but it was a, a team official. And he said, "Well, you know, teams don't want to do that. Teams in Japan don't want to do that. If they're going to get a an import player, they want someone who they can use right away, who's going to contribute to winning and winning and winning." And I said, "Okay, but here was SoftBank." SoftBank years ago taking a chance like that. But I mean, I didn't envision a high school player. I envisioned a college player. Yeah. Like, um, so who could, instead of going straight to the minors, could come over to Japan and, and develop a little bit better. So that, that, that wasn't what I was thinking, but SoftBank took the chance. And I think obviously in some ways, CSJ is a pioneer. Um, I don't know how SoftBank and other teams are viewing his success. If you if you if you want to count it by wins, I, I don't think they're going to do that. But I think if you look at the development and what it takes and that, you know, you've got to try something a few times before you get it right. I think they'll look at it as a success. Mm. And I think, yeah, I, th- I would hope that we see this more, maybe not so hot, such high profile players, but players who come out of the college ranks and they're almost ready for the big leagues and they can come over to Japan, play professionally get that year under the belt of just even if it's they only spend a little bit of time on the top team but most of the time on the farm and then that next season maybe make hopefully they make a jump they get more playing time on the on the first team and then that third year they can become a regular contributor and maybe you can keep them around for that fourth year maybe they're at that point they're 25 26 and it's a perfect time to go to the states like somebody we know who's playing for the angels (laughs) Well, yes and no. Actually, that's not a good time because you're an amateur then, and then you've got six years of MLB before you're a free agent. Uh, however, uh, here's the thing. With Carter Stewart Jr., it was a good plan. Uh, the Hawks, I think, were, were thinking he might be ready, you know, like a Japanese guy. He, you know, a, a top-notch Japanese guy might be ready at the age of 19 or 20. Uh, they just were not prepared for that. And I, that was, you know, it was, they took a gamble. They took an expensive gamble, but I'm thinking uh, they've got, they've got a year and a half left of control on him. (laughs) Hold on. Uh, 20, 2019. He's, uh, he signed 2019. uh, Yeah. 2020. It says fifth year on his. uh... Yeah. So they've got a year and a half of control left of him. Uh, now they signed him to, of course, uh, when they say that he signed a six year contract, what that means is that he's got a contract that says he can leave after six years. He can be a free agent, uh, probably only if he goes to the States, not if he stays in Japan, because right. that's a typical deal. But no, it is a, it is a, I've, I've, I mean, I've said it before, but, uh, the Japanese contract system is ripe for this kind of work. Because M- NPB, uh, because MLB teams have basically decided there is no zero competition for Western Hemisphere amateur talent mm. from any other top-level professional league. So they decided, well, let's put a cap on how much we pay these kids. Let's not let's you know pay them a you know if you're a second round draft choice we're only going to pay you a signing bonus of like uh, eight hundred thousand dollars or something or whatever you know they've got that whole 
draft pool set up so they can the teams don't compete against each other for top talent. Right. The, the players can't use their free market uh, skills, um, their free market position. But Japan doesn't have that. Japan has that within Japan, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. But for overseas players, which a player like Carter Stewart is, there are no restrictions. So they can compete with every MLB team for every amateur player in the world. They can pay more. They can offer better terms. And under the current rules, Carter Stewart will, uh, I'm sure he will have already established residency in Japan. Mm -hmm. After six years, he will be an international free agent. He can sign for any team he wants for whatever contract he wants in MLB, or he might stick around in Japan for another year, even, you know, whatever. I'm sure SoftBank would, will probably give him an a, offer him an extension, uh, which might not be a bad thing. But uh, yeah, he, he can pretty much write his own ticket. And that's, that's of course, whatever everybody wants in their life. So I think that's the thing. Of course, uh, Japan won't. I, I don't think Japan's going to move in that direction because Japan is a major league. I think there's no doubt about that Japan is a major league, but it's a major league in which a 12 team major league in which 11, 11 of the owners are minor league owners. Hashtag high. <laughs> they, they, their ambition is to own, is to operate uh, advertising entities known as baseball teams. <laughs> yeah which we and the we hawks are the the hawks are the 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 primary exception to that and there are gradients of of difference to that too but the hawks are the main exception all right sounds good let's make a four seam transition and talk about those two all-star games so we played uh one on wednesday in nagoya the next one on thursday at hiroshima's fall park so uh starting on wednesday 8-1 was the score. The Pacific League beat the Central League. Yuki Yanagita, his third All-Star Game MVP honor. He had a solo blast in the third inning and an RBI hit. He went two for three with two runs scored, two RBIs. And with the quirky, and I guess it's it's I'm always going to call it quirky because scoring can be random at times, but Doki Sasaki earns the win. And that's mm. fine. Uh, yeah, they take that off for uh, yeah, yeah. non regular for non regular season and non playoff games. Sure, I'm fine with it. But I think I, the thing that stood out for me in this game was the fact that Tsuyoshi Wada, Masahiro Tanako, both got through perfect innings. And we've talked about Tanaka's struggles, probably me more than anyone else. <laughs> but uh, Wada hasn't been great. But he's been more of a five and dive kind of guy. So I guess him putting up a, a, a perfect inning early on in a game, if he's only going to throw one inning, is is not abnormal. But for me, Masahiro Tanaka getting through perfect, it was kind of a surprise to me. And and I thought, okay, you know, and it is a situation, we get an all-star situation, most guys just throw fastballs anyway, and he did. Tanaka did throw fastballs, and, and so did Wada. They were both out there, like, pumping as, as hard as they could almost, and it was kind of a different, uh, different kind of situation for those guys. They were like, you know, the one in, one inning uh, relievers, and so they went hard. But Tanaka has been so inconsistent. I just that was such a surprise for me. What was the the thing that stood out for you? Well, Wada rewrote his record as the oldest Pacific League All Star. Uh huh. 
A couple of things. Uh, game one, of course, we had the Yuki and Agita home run, which was cool. And then we had uh, the Chusei Manami, that ma massive high blast off the foul pole to mm -hmm. the opposite field. Yes. <laughs> I, that was, you You could see peep, that took people's breath away. Yeah. So that that was those were the the big moments for me, and I guess the other one was Shoki Murakami because you know, he started for the the Hunching Tigers rookie Shoki Murakami started for the Central League, and before on the the media day the day before he said, uh, "Oh, Roki Sasaki can throw 160 kilometers per hour. You know, you can throw 100 miles per hour, but I'll show people I can get guys out. You know, I want to go out." And he it was the best All Star quote ever because. Nine out of ten times, the guys say, I'm going to throw the fastest pitch I can. I'm going to swing as hard as I can, to which I think is, oh, so it's not a game. It's a skills contest, <laughs> and which is one reason I don't like it. But in we had some interesting stuff. And Sasaki threw one pitch at 161, and everything else was 158 or slower, mostly breaking balls and stuff, which was fun. Definitely. And uh, Shoki Murakami did not have a lot of luck throwing 80 miles, his tough 80 miles an hour. Yeah, well, he, you know, when he did try to throw his fastballs, he was fine in the middle of the plate. And, I, you know, I, there was one all-star game that I went to cover, and I don't remember what year it was, but it was up in Sendai. And it was raining. And I just knew, because it's an all-star game, they don't have a makeup game scheduled. So if they can get it in, they're going to try to get it in. And I, I just envisioned someone walking through someone from npb walking through both locker rooms pre-game saying look i want you to throw the ball over the plate no balls <laughs> and everybody swing at the first pitch we gotta get this game in <laughs> yeah i went to, and that's I about went what to, happened that is yeah, about what happened <laughs> yeah i went to a two at I, I don't know 2001 i think it was about a two hour and five minute game at muscat's uh, stadium in karashiki okayama which was raining and it was first pitch, first pitch, first pitch. Let's see how fast we can get through this inning. That's you know, right. dropped a ball in the rain. I think it was a two, two to one game or something. It was, uh, it was weird. It's amazing anyway, how fast these guys can get the games in. I mean, the game started at six 30 and they were done by nine. Just about. Yeah. Both of them, um, yeah. But I'll tell you where the all-star game is now. It was on TV and it didn't go past nine o'clock. Even though the final outs were after the TV broadcast cut off. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the reality check of Japan's all-star game. Well, it switches over to BS. So if you have BS, you just go over there and that's oh, what I that's looked what and I, I couldn't find it. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, they hit it in, in the 150s and 160s up there. But okay. I did watch the home run derby, and I was glad that uh, Seiya Hosokawa of the Dragons got through and got to the final in this first game. And then uh, if we're ready to move on to the second game, it was Thursday again, repeating, at uh, Hiroshima in the Pacific League, won that game 6-1. to one. And uh, the all-star, I'm sorry, the home run derby took place before the game, and Hosokawa just, he, you know, he looked good hitting home runs at home at, at Nagoya Dome, but he, he, the Dragons player, their their best hitter so far this season. I'm not sure the best hitter, the guy who has the highest average, because I think uh, Yuki Okabayashi is their best hitter, but this guy has put, uh, Hosokawa has really put it together this season and he's hitting well. And uh, he hit some home runs to get to the, to the finals, but he didn't do anything after that. Didn't get any in the final and it was pretty pathetic. And, uh, 
that the winner had one home run it was uh Okamoto. I didn't, I didn't watch, but no, but the all-star, I'll tell you, the all-star, the all-star home run derby is a mm-hmm. vast improvement over what we used to have, where the local promoter decided on a format for their game and had an all-star, you know, a home run derby with X number of players in which X number of players saw X number of balls and X number of rounds. And the format was X. Every year it was a different variable and nobody knew what was going on. You could watch it and you still couldn't figure out what was going on. <laughs> so it was in that that situation where once and I be, I, I don't remember what game it was. I think it was at Cebu uh, at Cebu Dome the first year the roof was on and it turned into the world's largest outdoor sauna. <laughs> that the first All-Star game they had there uh, Yoshinobu Takahashi at the Giants was supposed to uh, was was one of the ho- participants, but somebody he swapped his shirt with Kazuhisa Ishii, and Ishii took a couple of cuts in the home run derby. Don't hurt yourself, son. But you could do that because the rules were so crazy, you couldn't figure out, and you really didn't care. <laughs> And it's only on TV that they pointed it out that it wasn't it wasn't Takahashi up there swinging. Right, right. So yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting that a Dragons player got to the final, couldn't hit a home run, and then uh, Kazuma Okamoto of the Giants ends up winning it. So yeah, that was fun. But anyway, uh, so game two, uh, Chusei Manami was the MVP. He had a home run. He had a double. He had a nice catch in the outfield early on. So he had a a really nice overall game. And I was really hoping that he would be the MVP because I love hearing his hero interviews. I love hearing him talk. He has so much personality and, uh, and that was fun. And then uh, that's five consecutive wins for the Pacific league. And they out hit the central league 28 to 11 in this series. So it really wasn't that, I guess they were getting them back for the uh, central league, having such a, a, a lead in the, in the head to head during interleague for so long. I think they lost it at the end, but you know, and they won it last year against the Pacific league, but they had a, they had a lead. They probably could have, could have won it again this year in terms of the overall, but anyway, uh, Monami yeah. looked really good. And then Trevor Bauer, you know, he did what he had done with the reds, which was beside that, this, that sword, they call it the sword performance in, in Japan. I don't know what he actually calls it himself, but when he strikes guys out, he puts his sword back in its, its sheath or whatever you want to call it. Um, but Trevor Bauer did what he had done with the reds before. I think in some aspects, I don't know if he did it in regular season games or just in, preseason games but he indicated to the batters what pitch was coming and he still tried to get them out and so he was doing that in the all-star game and Manami hit one of the pitch one of the pitches that he told him I think it was a hanging it ended up being a hanging yeah slider. it was a hanging curveball yeah <laughs> oh yes you say curve I'm not sure but it, 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 it Manami hit that ball upside the head so whatever it was <laughs> and its insides turned out and uh it was pretty 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 beautiful but Bauer continued indicating what he was going to throw to the batters and had a real good time. And I think that's something, you know, it's it's fun to add in an all-star game. It's I'm fine with it. I don't care about the performances and all that stuff because this is not a serious game. And he, you know, he just had he looked like a little kid enjoying being there in the moment. And that's fine. I, I think, you know, guys need to have fun, too. And they, if you're going to have to work, have fun at work, you know, as much as you can. 
you should go play in Korea because their All Star Game is like uh, Halloween. <laughs> and I say that because players dress up. Oh, and, really? They do? Yeah. So there was a, a former Base Stars player who dressed up. Um, and he, I wonder if he played for uh, Inchon for the former Wyverns, now known as the the Inchon Landers, uh, you know, which is, I think, hilarious because I think it's meant that they're supposed to be like UFOs or people landing at the airport at Inchon, which is now Don't has... Don't they call them there. UAPs now? There's a yeah, well, I, I think uh, <laughs> uh, the... It's supposed to be people landing at Incheon, which is South Korea's now uh, major airport hub. But the first thing when I heard Incheon landers, the first person I thought of was Douglas MacArthur, because that's where he landed okay. when he invaded Korea. <laughs> so right. our former base star dressed up, went to bat as Douglas MacArthur with the corncob pipe and the whole bit. Wow. And they, they wear they wear all kinds of comical get-ups, and one guy came out to his... Uh, a bat with somebody playing a trumpet. Wow, that's fun. Okay, I'm I, I'm a, I'm up for that. <laughs> that's that's a little bit too much fun. That's you know yeah. Let's, let's, make, not, let's still let's, make it a baseball game here, guys. Well, it's still a baseball game, but they 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 play around the edges. And speaking of fun, did you see Yasuaki Yamasaki's uh, appearance? He, he threw eight pitches. All eight of them were knuckleballs. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he was throwing knuckleballs as they had a little spin on him. <laughs> oh, well, that was at Nagoya. Excuse me. That was at Nagoya that he threw the eight knuckleballs. But he had an inning. He threw eight knuckleballs, and he had a one-two. Th- I think it was a one-two-three inning. Did not notice that, yeah. Yeah, that was wild. He, I, as far as I know, he's never, ever thrown one in a game. But I'm guessing he's been throwing them in the bullpen. Yeah, that game, that game in Nagoya turned into a snooze fest early on for me. I mean, I'm like, oh, I'm trying. I gotta stay awake. I gotta watch the. I gotta watch the. Yeah. <laughs> I could not stay awake because they, you know, the game got away early from the Central League, and then I think I wrote was, about I wrote about uh, nine graphs on both games combined. <laughs> this is the score. This guy was the hero. He was the MVP. This is what he did. This is what some other point of the game. And then see ya. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I got you. That's what the all-star game should be. I got you. I got you. I got you. Well, it was fun. Um, again, like I said, the Pacific League has won five consecutive. So hopefully mm-hmm. next year the Central League can break that streak and and put one on the board. Yes. <laughs> All right. Making the two-seam transition. Uh, we're going to dive in a little bit to into the MVP or the MVP candidates and the South yeah. Award. Unlike unlike the American League, I think we don't have a runaway. Uh, we don't have runaway candidates, although maybe one. Well, uh, all closest right, well, maybe one, possibly maybe, one, possibly one. All right. Well, let's start with uh, MVPs and let's start in the Pacific League and. You know, I'm going to do what I've been doing, I guess, the past, I don't know, five, six years is try to guess what the media here in Japan is going to vote as the MVP. And I think it's it's going to be Yoshinobu Yamamoto if the Oryx Buffaloes go on to win this, the Pacific League title. And the reason I say that is because they usually, they meaning the media members in Japan, usually pick an outstanding player from the first place team. And that's it. It doesn't matter usually unless somebody has an outstanding year luckily last year for the media members in the central league the kid who had the best season all his team also won 
dependent, so they had no trouble. But uh, they they are perplexed and confused when the outstanding, most outstanding performance comes from a player other than the first place team, and they just find a player on the first place team for whom to vote. So uh, I I like Yuma Tongu. I think he. He has been having a breakout season for the Buffaloes. I just don't think he has a home, enough home runs for the Japanese media, probably. Doesn't have enough RBIs for them, and his OPS is, is third in the league. It's high. It's up there. But I don't think they look at that. So if Oryx goes on to win the pennant, look for that. But I I, I really like Yuki Nagita for the MVP. I think he's, he's doing so much for the offense for SoftBank. He's hitting in the middle. They're trying to keep him healthy, not you know running him along uh, on the bases. They get him out of games sometimes, get him off his feet, give him some rest, and he has really been productive and driving the offense. And you look at the offense. Uh, I think we talked about it in our roundtable discussion last week that they had to go back and get Alfredo Despagne and make up with an ex-girlfriend almost seemingly and bring him back into the fix. And I, what is he injured already, right? So he's yep. already out of commission and. They really don't have any big bats in there to consistently drive the offense other than Yanagita, and he's doing it. And of course, now I say that they they lost their tenth consecutive game here today on Saturday. Hopefully, he can help them uh, avoid losing an eleventh consecutive game. Which, geez, would they say since nineteen eighty five that team hasn't lost right. as many consecutive games? So and they've hurts. never well, and actually, well, that's that's. That's a that's a misnomer. Well, it's not a well misnomer. because there was a tie in it, right? Yeah. Cur, cur, well, in 1985 there was a tie. There was a tie or two, and then it, in 1969 a... there were a couple of ties in the franchise's longest streak of losing decisions. But the Hawks franchise has never has not since 1950 lost ten straight games. Yeah, so that's Thank a first. You. Take that. So yeah, and they they also have nine games in which they've got one of those little fighters, uh, no, you know, bullet note <laughs> streaks. The like the fighters had the streak with the number of one run losses, seven one run losses. Uh, the Hawks have now uh, scored two or fewer runs in nine straight games, which is a franchise record. Ouchie. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, since I will say again, since nineteen fifty. I don't know from before that. The two-league system. Okay, well, who do you have? So are you in agreement that the media will probably go with Yoshinobu Yamamoto? because? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, that way. I mean, it's not not 100%, but it's close to it. Okay, that's why I said probably. So who do you like as MVP? Uh, Chihiro Kaneko won an MVP, won his game when the Buffaloes finished winning percentage points out of first place. But yeah, that's that's a rarity. Yeah, I think I also like Yuki Nagita, but this Kensuke Kondo season is 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 if not better. Uh, His teammate, yes, yeah. So those two, it's hard. I can't even. I can't imagine those team. And also with having having Akira Nakamura having his Renaissance season, remembering you know it's like watching him and remember when he was really a good ball player because he hasn't been one uh, in the last couple of years he, he has but i still you know when he's up there in a, in a clutch situation i don't think anybody wants to face him no matter what kind of season he's having but yeah you're you're correct well he's you know he's the he was the prototype for ken's the kensuke kondo 
hitter, you know, somebody basically who knows the strike zone better than uh, everybody else in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And will just stand there and look at you like you're a moron when you try to try to get him to chase on the first two pitches because he ain't touching anything even on the corner if it's a strike because that's not what he does. Right. You know, he waits for you to do that. He <laughs> waits for the pitchers to get him ahead in the count, and then he looks for something down the middle to pop. So those three guys are doing all this, and it's remarkable. But you know, it, it is baseball that these guys can have bad timing and bad thing, weird things can happen. You have these, these marvelous hitters and still score two runs or less in nine straight games. That's just the way it goes. Uh, but I'm I'm perfectly in agreement with those guys and also with Yoshinobu. Uh, Yamamoto, of course, my the other. Uh, I, it's not a certainty that Roki Sasaki won't be, you know, won't have that season. And if the Marines come really close, mm-hmm. he could be the MVP. But I think those guys you mentioned, in addition with with the extra, uh, you uh, Kensuke Kondo. Yeah, you know Kondo, his OPS is right behind Yanagita in, in the Pacific League, and, and he's. I think I. He's, lead, he's he's driven in more runs. He's scored more runs. He's got a well. They, they've both got four hundred on base percentages. So, yeah, and this is a career high. I heard. Uh, on yes. the, uh Yeah, for home runs for him. Yeah. Uh, so I, already, and he has you know sixty some odd games, fifty plus games to improve on that. So, uh, yeah. Well, main I, thing for him is he's doing what he's always done. He's just playing every day. Yeah, well, and yeah, just don't get hurt. You know, he has a tendency mm. to to have something go wrong. So yeah, all right. Uh, since I went first in the Pacific League, you can go first in the Central League. With wow, MVP this is today. this is really we've got uh, a bunch of pitchers who are seven and one or eight or eight and two. Sure. Yes. So uh, I'll tell you the guys I really like. Now, uh, if the Giants win, it's got to it's most likely going to be Kazuma Okamoto. But I yes. think the chance of the Giants winning is looking like uh, <laughs> looking poor, but you know, they're still in it. Sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to pick uh, I'm going to pick an outsider. I'm going to pick Hiroki Tokoda of the Carp. Oh yes, you'd like With to the, go off the uh, driven path, and and well, yes. and they could they could win, and if they win, he's probably going to be their MVP. He's been just lights out pretty much every game, and. Uh, we don't know. The thing is, I just don't see this is kind of an exercise in trying not to be as futile as we can. Right. <laughs> because it's really hard in July this year. I mean, last year we were going like this. The question was not whether Munitaka Murakami was going to be MVP, or, but whether he was going to be the triple crown right, winner right, or not. Right. Yes. So this year it could be token it could be kotaro otake if he comes back and has an equally solid second half of his season and the tigers win i don't uh cody chikamoto could if he comes back he just came back today yes i did yeah. so if he comes back healthy he could because he had a marvelous first half until he got hurt toshiro miyazaki if the base stars do it so that, that's my take yeah i you know trying again Trying to pick the what the media is going to look at, and to be honest, I, I still I can't fathom the carp winning this thing. But they are tied, right? They're tied. The carp uh, have been, you know, we we talked about that, and the carp have been what they have been is remarkably consistent. 
if you look at their performance from month to month, basically they, they score runs. They don't allow that many runs. Every month they score, you know, the biggest hiccup they had the entire season was when they used Joji Kuribayashi in his closer role after he came back from his lower back issues in the WBC. And WBC the, stint, yes. <laughs> right. And they tried to use him and it didn't work. And then they they said, hey, you, hey, you guy in the corner, you know what a closer is? No. Okay, well, get out there and pitch the ninth inning and you'll figure it out. Right. And 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 then the, that's how they got Takuya. Uh, Takuya Yamasaki. Uh, no, Yasaki. Yasaki, yes. Yasaki. And he's got 18 saves. Yeah. But no, the, the, I'm very, their performance is all around. Of course, now they're without Yomo uh, Nishikawa, who's really their, their big offensive wheel. And he's, He's having a heck of a season. He's having his typical season. So uh, that will be the question. Can Ryoma, can they play well without Ryoma Nishikawa? Yeah, well, I like uh, I, I, the two guys I like are on the same team. And uh, it's the Bay Stars guys. And, and I guess they're what and, and what and the other. Uh, Toshio Miyazaki mm-hmm. having re- a really good season. Uh, second in the league. Actually, his OPS was was above a thousand before tonight, but it dropped. It dropped below. Oh no, he's right at right about at a thousand right now. And so, if if Yahoo Sports Navi is up to date as we speak, uh, so that's tops in the league. And you know, he's got all these doubles. He's got twenty one doubles at least. This was I when I checked the other day. Um, and he's doing great. And then Shugomaki, you know, his 58 RBIs. I like what he's doing RBI wise, just driving and runs when there are guys on base. He has 20 doubles. Um, that's good for third best. Uh, I think it's third best. Only. Let me check that again. Well, they, they, they changed. You know, I did my homework on Thursday. Um, yeah, Maki. Yeah. Uh, he's tied for third best, uh, third most in the league. So those are my two guys. And then, uh, I would have to say Kazumo. Kazuma Okamoto of the Giants is really having the best season of all these guys, but he doesn't have the first place situation. Mm. So it, we're going to have to wait. I can't make my media guess until a team emerges as the the top. But my front, the guy I would like to see win an MVP this year because of all the things that he has done and then because he has been the steadiest, uh, I guess, guy with punch in this lineup is Okamoto. The, the 20 home runs, uh, and it seems like all of them have really meant something. Uh, the 51 RBIs, again, most of which have not just come at the end of games, but have really meant the difference in winning and losing for a team that hasn't really done a lot of winning. So uh, that's my situation with that. Uh, and I, like I said, I, I really like all three of these guys. Uh, the, I didn't even think about a cart player who offensively has been driving that team and driving the lineup uh perhaps someone will emerge late especially if they go on to win this thing again yeah it could be hiroki tokoda the the the, the media just say hey we don't know give it to the pitcher with the most wins on the team and that's that's well that the next question typically happens when (laughs) yeah you know you know i mean the the hawks are a team where that could happen too because they'll go like well, maybe not because, you know, they might flip a coin and say in Agita or Kondo, but I, you know, remember a Dragons team when uh, Shigeki Noguchi was the MVP or was it Kawakami one year when he was the MVP and he was the MVP because the hitters were actually quite good, but they were all, they were all just 
the numbers were not flashy. Sure, and there yes. was a bunch of them that were, they were, they're not flashy because they, they play in Nagoya Dome is the main reason they weren't flashy. But this was the team and I wasn't that old and impressed with Kawakami either, but they said, well, you know, he's got that ERA. Well, I think, wonder, yeah, I think that was 99. Why. That was 99 when you and I yeah, met. Yeah, 99, that sounds and right. And I think it was Noguchi because uh, it was Kawakami Noguchi, was a rookie. And okay. uh, I don't think he had enough wins. Yeah. So Nogu, anyway, so the Dragons had two things. Well, they had three things going for them. A, they had an outstanding offense. Um, B, they had Nagoya Dome and they had an outstanding defense. And as a result, the pitchers, ordinary pitchers would have a, you know, a, a guy who would have a four, a four ERA with the Swallows then would have a 2.5 ERA with the Dragons. Except Kenji, no, was it Kenji no Kawasaki? Yeah, well. Yeah, well, except him. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> he got Harvard. Give me a break. Tell the guy some slack. He didn't kill, he didn't, you know, not not all the celebrities killed themselves over him. Okay. All right. Uh what about Salomon Award winner? So I guess you know, Yamamoto has to be the front runner. I think Sasaki has to be right behind him. And then I didn't think much about Takoda, to be honest, and Otaki. Also has a lot of wins, but I haven't thought about. No, you want they contender. want the strikeouts, and that's why uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto or Hiroki Sasaki gotta be the 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 front runners. Well, here's what I, I I'm throwing Trevor Bauer into this race because remember he's he wants to work on four days it appears, and he might get more starts, <laughs> and okay. so he can rack up a lot of strikeouts. He can rack up a lot of good performances on four starts more so than the other guys who are throwing once a week. He'll get yeah. a couple more starts in there. And I think uh, we have to just throw his name in there and throw it up yeah. there, especially well, if, if the if the base stars go on a run here. Yeah. He has pitched pretty well as you know, as long as he doesn't choke, he'll be fine. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was a quick conversation. Let's go to fielding questions. Okay. So, we had uh, Evan from St. Louis who wrote in last time that we did High Heat, and we didn't answer all his questions, so we want to pick up where we kind of left off, and this is a continuation from, uh, like I said, that last time. Now, he said one of his several questions in the email, and we appreciated them all and wanted to address them all, and that's why we're bringing it up this week, is which ballpark is your favorite slash has the best fan experience? So that's two questions in one. <laughs> Jim, I'll let you go first. Mm. Mm. I like different ballparks for different things, so it's really difficult. It's quite difficult to say because it's a multi-dimensional. Okay, well, you're going to take issue. somebody who's coming from the states. You're going to take them to a game. Try to say. Uh, I want to say this is my favorite. So let's go here. Which one is it? Still difficult. I think I I I, I would think if if I had to pick one ballpark in Japan to take somebody, it'd be Koshien. Uh huh. Just because of a the history and b the uh, Tigers fans are a spectacle, and especially if they get the jet balloons back and seeing Roko Oroshi, and that it's you know the grass is outfield, the outfield is grass, so uh, ivy on the outside. It's 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 a uh, it's iconic. So I, I would go with that. It's I don't think it's the best stadium. You know, it's not the best view. But the atmosphere is, is there really isn't any better atmosphere. They're nicer ballparks. They're cleaner ballparks. They're more interesting places. They're better, even better fan experiences. But the whole package with the history is Koshan. Yeah. 
Well, since Evan put a slash in there, I see this as two questions. So my favorite ballpark is and will be for until they tear it down to build a new one will be Nagoya Dome because it's just uh, so. And we have an interview coming up in which uh, one of the uh, I'm sorry, I won't tell you exactly who it is, but it's a pitcher. And he says that the Nagoya Dome mound reminds him of the major leagues. And that whole ballpark to me reminds me of a major league facility. And that's why I like it. But I don't think it's the best fan experience, especially when you're sitting out there in the outfield wall, uh, in the outfield or out in any of the outfield seats. And you can't see if a ball hits off the top of the wall or actually goes into the stands. You just you can't see uh, hmm. that's poor design in that respect. But that's my favorite ballpark because it looks so beautiful. But I think the place where you can get the best fan experience has got to be Zozo Marine Stadium just because mm. of the fans and the way that they cheer and the way that they jump up and down. And that's not to besmirch any of the other fans and any mm. other no uh, stadium. This is a no besmirchment zone. What kind yes, of? if you can say that three times fast, I'll give you some money. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, I think uh, you're going to get a lot of fan ex- great fan experiences in any ballpark you go mm. to Japan. But I think for me, when I would go and cover games with the Lotte fans, I just couldn't believe how they would jump up and down all game long in the middle of summer and how that just had to be you know, win or lose to keep doing that. And I'm sure some of the fans come in and they are there not on a daily basis, but maybe for a series or so. But every day it's different fans and they all do the same thing and jump. It's just crazy. And they're just so full of energy. So that fan experience has to be, uh, for me, the the Chiba Lotte fans. But um, so which Mm. the other question, Evan, directed toward us last time, that we didn't get to was which teams are more sabermetrically minded? The most analytical teams, I would think, are the fighters and the base stars. And I, I'll mention something I found in my research, which was very my when I was doing all the the research about called strikes, mm-hmm. is that in 2019, as as I mentioned, the the I think it was two. Uh, excuse me, two thousand eighteen. They introduced the pitch tracking software to eleven uh, NPB parks, and they started sharing the data. Uh, one of the effects of, or at least they talked about sharing the data to to evaluate the umpires. That was the talk. Now, whether that happened or not, I do not know. Whether they told the umpires, I do not know. But I will tell you from my research that it looks like the umpires were concerned that they were being monitored by the pitch tracking data because their the home favoritism pretty much evaporated. Oh, yes, yes. In 2018 for a couple of years. And so I'm guessing they really didn't evaluate them because after a few years, the umpires were going, well, they're never going to call us on this. So we're just going to go back to doing what we were always doing. <laughs> now that was those. So we saw teams, particularly the Omiri Giants and the Hanshin Tigers, drifted into the middle. They drifted towards the norm in terms of the kind of uh, pitch calls they were getting on bat, on pitches that weren't swung at. But two teams, uh, three teams moved precipitously. The Hiroshima Carp went from being better than average on getting called strikes to worse than average. Hmm. Okay, an explanation forthcoming. And two teams went from being worse than average to better than average, the fighters and the base stars. 
And I know they both have a sizable analytics teams. And the CARP are the other way around. The CARP, when NPB requested that all 11 teams install TrackMan, said, we're good with what we got. <laughs> so I I think what happened was all the, all that of the 12 NPB teams nine of them got a little better at working the ump- gaming the umpires. Okay. Two of them got a lot better and one of them stayed right where they were. <laughs> Ah, uh, you gotta love it. It is what it is. It is what it is until it isn't, but then it was, so it still could be. All right. Um, <laughs> as for which teams are most saber centric, I guess, I, I guess we could say that I, I don't think we really know, but I, I do remember, and I've told this story before, but I know, uh, Evan, you're kind of a newer listener, that when I was in the Voya in I don't know, 19, when when I when might I have done this story on Alonzo Powell? I think it was 1997, let's say. Um, maybe, no, it had, yeah, because it was before Nagoya Dome was built. So 1997, I was doing a story on Alonzo Powell and he came to the interview and, and we, you know, he, we did it off, not at the, at the ballpark. We did it at, uh, near his place. And he brought over this folder, this binder, this huge binder that had, all kinds of data on the pitchers. You know, this pitcher throws this pitch in uh, this count when there are runners on first, on day games, on Sundays, in visiting ballparks against left-handers, uh, you know, who are who have power and don't pull but can hit to the opposite. I mean, you know, it was just minutia. And he's like, they want me to remember all this stuff when I get in the batter's box. Man, I'm a, I'm not looking at this. <laughs> I won't be exactly. able to think. And so I think, t- you know, teams, we, we might forget that teams in Japan have been looking at analytics. I think, I don't, I wouldn't say longer, but deeper uh, for longer than they had in the States. And that this has just been a thing. And based on what they show us on the field, it seems like the Marines, because I remember talking to Bobby Valentine, and we know that Paul Pupo, his statistician guy, was there, and that they had really taken it to another level. But I think the fighters came back and said, oh, yeah, you know, we can do better than that. And I think some of the teams have just uh, watched those teams duke it out in that, in that aspect. But for me, it looks like I, I can't tell which teams now are more saber-centric. I can tell you which teams, to me, look like they're not. <laughs> and the Dragons are at the top of that list because they seem to have no clue uh, at, at times, especially at the plate. Like, for instance, what 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 could what's coming with the with the attack? Uh, they seem to be easy to attack attack as as far as pitchers. But I, I think a lot of the teams are pretty much in the same range in terms of saber metrics. But like I said, I, these teams have been using this data for a long, long time. And uh, maybe we just didn't hear about it when we were watching Major League Baseball as much and they were using some of that data. Or maybe just before Moneyball, the movie and the book came along, people were looking at it, giving it the side eye, but not really believing. And then it just took off in the States. And so they said, hey, you know, we're we're great at this. But I think Japan has been using it for far longer and 
far deeper into the minutia. <laughs> and remember, Bobby Scales, he came on the show and talked about the fact that, hey, he was playing his defensive position for the fighters. You Darvish was on the mound and that the, uh, the the bench wanted him to play over closer to the hole. He was playing second base. And they said, you know, you need to move over closer to first base. And his his thinking was, and this is what he said in the interview on the show, his thinking was, hey, nobody's going to pull a ball from Darvish. He's throwing too hard and he's too good. Uh, I should be playing more toward the middle. But that's where they wanted him to play because that's what this what the data said. And so he moved over, you know, he, reluctantly. And I think, you know, Jim saying that the fighters might be that team, I, I could totally believe it, but I, I'm not sure we're seeing it because we don't have a lot of shifts a lot of extreme shifts in japan we have some shifts but i don't see the extreme i'm not i don't see a lot of extreme shifts you disagree um a couple of points one is yeah the analytics is it, it takes up a huge it's a huge spectrum we don't know how you know it could go any which way it could be to team design it could be to whatever uh, it could be the shifts. It could be um, individual pitchers, approaches, pitch, uh, creating new pitches. Oh, shaping? Pitch shape, yeah, shaping or pitch uh, building, creating new pitches and new deliveries and monitoring that. It could be many, many different things. And Japan gotcha. has always, it seems, uh, what, what Alonzo Powell was talking about is something that Japan's really been big on uh, since forever since I got here, which was trying to predict what the next pitch is going to be. The teams spent all their time, pretty much spent all their time trying to figure out what the next pitch is going to be. That was really as far as they ever wanted to go as, in, as far as shifts or whatever, you know, uh, in out the positioning is kind of a recent thing. Mm-hmm. And we did see a lot of shifts. We saw the, the the Nippon Ham fighters did the most shifting. They used to have an extreme shift until there were two strikes on Masataka Yoshida. And one of the things the Pacific League, uh, one of the things the fighters did was as soon as openers became a thing in MLB, they did a version of it in, in Nippon Ham. They called them the short starters, and which is not to be confused with... Uh, pitchers who play for the Yakult Swallows. Hashtag hi. And that's the reason that uh, Masato Yoshi went, uh, left the fighters the second time under as a, as a uh, Kuriyama. Right. Right. Because he didn't want to be in charge of a pitching staff with short starters. But that was a that was an attempt by their analytics department and that Kuriyama was with was in with you know this is what our pitchers are so let's do with use what we've got in that respect as yeah other in other ways yes they have done more positioning they have done uh, a few other things they do a lot of advanced scouting it's very serious um, i don't know how how much it is but you're right we, we we don't see a lot of it i think they still try to predict what's the next pitch sure and that is their main focus. And it helps that there's only five teams in the league. And the, and the, some of these players depend very, very heavily on that data, which is, I think, a shock when they get into interleague and they're going like, who are these guys? Yeah. I think they're getting better at it, but 
Trey, uh, Trey Hillman, you know, when I interviewed him in Nago, Okinawa in, in February 2006, said that uh, he was stunned by how much Interleague took the wind out of his players' sails. Like they were completely lost. It's almost as if they had changed the rules to the game. <laughs> so, I mean, he did, that's my quote, not his. I'm no, sort yeah, of par- yeah. summing up what he said. Some sure. people are okay with that. Some people are not. And they demand direct quotes. But the point being, so in 2006, one of the preparations they did for their first championship in forever was scouting the the Central League teams during camp and briefing the players on the Central League teams that they were going to play like they were Pacific League teams. And that apparently helped them. Or at least, you know, this was before the fact that they won Interleague that year. (laughs) So Mm. I'm guessing it did help them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, it, like you said, hard to tell, but uh, it's a good question. It's an awesome mm. question, and uh, you know you can watch some of the games when you get a chance and see if you see any of the shifting and all the other things. But um, yeah, the other things are very hard to actually pick up, especially watching TV. But we appreciate the question, and I'm glad we were able to finish up and get back to you, Evan, and, mm. and appreciate yeah, that. Thanks. Jordan and Ian, you guys are both on deck, so uh, keep that in mind. Anyone else that has a question, hit us up on Twitter at JBW Podcast with the hashtag High Heat. Send us questions by email to Y-A-K-Y-U-J-O-H-N at gmail.com. And they can be MP3s. You just hit that little record button on your smartphone and then you can just send it over <laughs> via email. It's really easy. You can go to our Facebook page as well and leave us a note there or a comment and just let us know. Like I said, the, it doesn't have to be a question. It can be a comment. It can be praise. It can be some criticism. We don't mind. Uh, look for us on Google Podcasts and iTunes. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy your baseball. Eat the ballparks. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JBW Podcast and at JBall Allen. Submit your questions with hashtag high heat and listen for an answer in an upcoming episode.